Hola, what is going on? Jason Bay here. Thanks for checking out Blissful Prospecting. This is a podcast for sales reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but absolutely hate it when you go to send a cold email and it ends up taking you an hour to write and then the prospect doesn't even respond to it. So if that's ever happened to you before, you're definitely in the right place. Let's get to the episode today. So I got another episode of Sales Rants coming at you with my good friend, Jeff Bajoric. So we're digging into four topics that I'm pretty passionate about. If you haven't listened to this series yet on the podcast, it's in big, bold letters, Sales Rants in the episode title. And essentially what we do here is we take seven, eight minutes or so, and we jam on a bunch of different topics and spend about seven or eight minutes a piece. And it's really just kind of what's top of mind for us from a sales and prospecting standpoint. And I get to talk to one of my good friends, Jeff, at the same time. So in this episode, we're digging into four topics. How to know when enough is enough. So if you've ever felt like, hey, I'm maybe not hitting my number and I'm putting a lot of activity in and I'm working my ass off. How do I know when enough is enough if the results aren't there? Like, how do I know how to set boundaries with work and like the other parts of your life? Because work is not everything, right? Number two, we're going to talk about creating a narrative. So the importance of having a narrative and like really thinking about like, what's the angle here? with the prospect. Like, how can I really get them to understand what's going on really quickly? So we're talking about analogies, storytelling frameworks, et cetera, things like that that you can use. Number three, we're gonna talk about sort of acting as if. So how to be more confident and have more of an abundance mindset so that that comes out when you're prospecting and selling. And then lastly, we're gonna talk about why fortune favors the bold. So why it's important to ask for what you want. So we got some cool jam-packed topics today. So without further ado, Let's get to it with Jeff. So this concept of how do we decide if enough is enough is something I want to pick your brain on because in sales, you hear about like, oh, you need to be more results oriented and don't measure activity. And you kind of hear the other extreme of, you know, it's all about activity and like all this other stuff, but it's kind of a profession, no different than running a business like we do, where it's kind of hard to set like boundaries you know, and like be okay with just like stopping? Like, how do you, how do you think about and process this topic? I want to sigh loud enough for the transcription to pick that up. So I've got three distinct phases of my career where enough has been in question and I've had three different experiences with it. So I want to start there because I think it provides the necessary narrative or context around what we're talking about. Because primarily for people who are working for companies where a number is assigned to them at the beginning of the year, like you know what enough is. Did you hit your number or did you not hit your number? Where is there to question? It's about as black and white as it gets. Well, early in my career, before I really knew how to sell or while I was learning how to sell, I did not hit a number very consistently. And so I never felt as if I was doing enough. Clearly, if you're doing what it takes, then you'll get the results that you want. But I, and I wasn't, I didn't get that mix right, but it was really, really frustrating. And in some ways it really set me up and scarred me in some ways for my career later. And I decided that I wanted to put some things into play. They made sense to me intuitively, but it flew so much in the face of the way things were going. It was easier for me to just leave that job and go start a new one. And I did. I got a good job. And I said, look, it's now or never. Either I'm going to put this stuff into play and it's going to work or I'm not cut out to sell. Well, it worked. It's not so surprising to me now thinking back on it, but the, that, those things worked. And there's a lesson in that on its own, but we'll cover that another time. 
enough became this hurdle that I cleared actually rather easily. Every time I was given a number, I just exceeded it. And I tripled my business in 15 months. No one saw that coming. And so now once I knew what enough was, I relaxed. And in some ways, that relaxation allowed me to sell better. But it got to the point where I I did get a little bored. I was uninspired because when you are giving your reps what they need and they're actually using it to succeed, you need to continue to give them stuff so they can continue to go and succeed instead of just letting them feel like they're getting stale. Again, another conversation, but that's a very separate chapter in my sales career. Then as I come now where I've got my own business, look, I know what enough is. I know what I have to do to keep my kids fed, to keep the lights on, keep the heat on, the air conditioning in the summer. I get to play some golf. Like, that's fine. But this concept of not knowing how far you can actually go, and I'm curious how you're deciding on this for your business, not knowing how far you can actually go or not having a realistic timeline for when you're going to get there, it's very hard to decide what enough is because just moving forward and eh, not really enough. Like we expect that you and I expect that of ourselves. So we can move forward. That's fine. But are we moving fast enough? Can we keep this pace up? Are we behind where we should be? I think that squares the concept a little bit for the people that are watching and listening, because it's not quite so simple as did I hit my number or not? Because when you're in charge of setting the number, it's a completely different ball of wax. Well, how do you approach this? Oh God. I mean, you just presented a bunch of things I hadn't really thought about. The, <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> uh, why are these only seven minute segments? God, I, I know it's, I like to be contrarian and take like hard one side or the other, but I think a lot of it comes down to balance. And I think if you do too much of, you know, what's my, I'm only going to measure against my own potential, you know, because you, you kind of hear that. Well, what might happen when you do that is you might really under, you might not really understand, does anyone really know what their potential is? And then how do you, how would you even measure that? Right. So there's like a, that kind of camp. And then the other camp is this measuring yourself against others. I think you actually need both. I think you need to be able to see what the goalpost is and what was accomplished in order to know what your potential is, because I'm a human being, just like any of the other human beings selling, like we all have a lot of potential. And I would say just about everyone is probably not living up to what their potential is. I don't know. I think you got to kind of think about both. And we, we talked about this before we hit record, but I think it's like really doing some reflection on what you want. Yeah. Like it's okay not to be the number one rep at your company. Like that's totally okay. You make a really good living being number five. <laughs> it's totally okay. And if you want to be number one, and I think it's, if it's for intrinsic reasons, and it's like, I just want to prove to myself that I can do this versus beating everyone else. I think beating people for most is not going to be something that sustains your level of motivation and you can really burn yourself out. But again, I think you need a fair amount of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. So, dude, I don't know. I, th I think you kind of think about the balance between the two and then like really, really reflect on like what you want. Like, what do you want? It's really, really difficult to balance that too, because you know what your potential is. And it, well, you actually, you don't, you, I agree with you. You don't quite know what your potential is, but you know, it's greater than where you are right now. So you're kind of, I asked myself this a couple of years ago. I said, Jeff, when will you call yourself successful? And if not now, then when, and if you can't say when, then how do you know you haven't already crossed that line, right? If it's undefined, you don't know where you are in relation to it. 
The other story that I that I can can share really quickly is one of the regional managers that as a manufacturer's rep, I was basically a channel partner. You could think of it that way. And I represented a bunch of different companies. And one of my managers of the, the companies that I represented, he said, Jeff, I learned really, really quickly in my career. I could bust my tail and be number one. Or I could work three-day weeks and be number three. What did I want to be? What did it mean to me to be number one? Or was I working for a lifestyle? And in this case, this was a short stop in his career, you know, for a couple, three years so that he could have some experience so he could go into something that, you know, he could pursue a little bit more fulfillment or get a little more fulfillment out of his pursuit. That is something you have to decide for yourself. And you can't just measure it against your potential because that's so undefined. You also can't measure yourself against so many other people. The discipline is to be inspired by those people, but not necessarily measure yourself against those people. Because Jason, I see what you're doing and I'm envious in some ways. And then at the end of the, after I get over that couple of minutes, I have to remember, well, okay, but Jason's situation is different than mine. He's got different talents than I have. He's more focused than I have in some uh, ways. I also have different situations. And quite frankly, you're doing something that you're really, really good at, but that I don't choose to pursue. So I can be inspired by the things that you're doing. And I am quite frankly, and very much so. I'm so proud of the work that you've done to see it and to see you excel that inspires me to do something like that. But I can't hold myself to the standard that you're setting because I don't want to be what you are for your clients because that's not what I want to be for my clients. So that also, that inspiration, that measuring yourself against other people, it requires very strict boundary setting on your part to make sure that you don't get carried away and let that inspiration become an obsession. Couldn't have said it better, man. Next topic, we're out of time. (laughs) So there is this thing that you have talked a fair amount about, and I love the words that you've chosen. And I like to say that, you know, during a sales call, you need to create some context for your pitch or your presentation or your value proposition to land. You call it creating a narrative, which is better because it uses a storyline kind of framework. Why don't more reps get this right? And I mean, because you you have to have it. You can't just come out there and pitch. Like your pitch will land in nothing. You have to create a safe space for that presentation or that value prop to land. How do you go about helping people with that? Dude, I've been doing a lot of thinking on this and just in the training that we're doing, what I notice is that, because everyone wants to know how to write an email. How do I write a better cold email? How do I write better subject lines? How do I you know, work on my pitch in a cold call? And I think that if those things are not resonating with prospects, it's that's the symptom of a bigger problem. And I think the bigger problem is I was just talking to my wife about this maybe two nights ago. And I was like, how many people do you know that are really good at like telling stories or really good at just explaining something? Like if you didn't know about their profession and explain to you what they did, like how many of those people? And we're like, it's just a small handful of people, dude. Very, very few people. And on our first date, I remember Sarah was explaining to me what she does for work. And she was a product owner at that time at a software company. Was that is that Nike? And so not a software company, but she's working on the software side. And she's like, you know, like just at this restaurant we're sitting at, you know, there's like the waiter that's bringing us our stuff. Like they're kind of taking the order. Like we're the customer and you got kind of the cooks behind there. Well, the cooks, those are the software engineers, right? They're really good at cooking stuff. But if they don't know what to cook and like what the customer wants, then they're not going to cook the right thing and people are going to be really unhappy with it. So a product owner is kind of like the, the waiter in this analogy where they're going to go up to the customer and find out what they want, but then make sure that's communicated back 
to the cooks so that they get the right thing, they get on time, et cetera. She's like, that's what I do at my job. I was like, oh, interesting. And it's more than just being an order taker, obviously, but it's like explaining that was like, I immediately understood what she was talking about. And with prospecting, I think the challenge is that we don't really actually know how to provide immediate context to the prospect so that they understand exactly what's going on here. And there's a couple of different things that you can do. And I'll give you some examples. A lot of solutions, you know, if you're a marketing agency, let's say, or, you know, working with another client that helps people with their kind of outsource like customer support so that they don't have to like staff up and down with demand that comes in around holidays. Well, what they're essentially doing is what a mechanic would do, right? The way that you prospect is a mechanic is really good at saying, hey, I'm an expert at this thing. Bring your car in. I'll give you a full diagnosis of everything that's wrong with this and how it's impacting you and how you can save money if it's a good mechanic. It's a 175-point inspection, right? Exactly. That's kind of the same approach that you take like when prospecting, if you're selling that type of solution. Hey, I was on your website. Notice that you have a leak here and thought you might want to know like how that might be impacting your sales phone. Do you want to talk about how to fix it? Right? That's the mechanic approach. There's another really common approach. And we were talking about this earlier. It's kind of David versus Goliath. We have a consulting company we work with that essentially finds ways to help companies save money on their utilities because they get overcharged by their waste, electric, et cetera. And they just figure, hey, this is this big publicly traded company. Like what, what say do I have in the bill that they send me? So they just accept it. So it's kind of like this approach of, hey, it's not fair that these big companies kind of bully you around as a smaller mid-sized business. Like we can help you level the playing field, right? That's kind of what they're doing. And there's another one that's kind of interesting too. I call it the buried treasure. We have another client that helps other companies find tax credits. And it's kind of like this concept of you have money sitting right underneath your nose. You just don't have the metal detector to find the, the treasure. You know, we're the metal detector essentially. And all of these like messaging like it really resonates not only with the sales rep to think about this, but also with the prospect. Because you can immediately say like, hey, I'm sure you when you're a kid, like you saw the treasure maps, right? With a little X on them, like the buried treasure. Well, that's essentially what we're doing for businesses and helping them find these like tax credits that they didn't really know anything about. It's sitting right underneath their nose that feels really hard to find, but you just don't have the right tools to find it. Like we can help you with that. And it immediately resonates with the prospect. It doesn't have a value prop in there. There's no, we help people with this and we save X amount of dollars and all this other stuff. No, it's just like conceptually, do they get what we do? And how can you explain that in a few seconds? So I think if you can think about like, what's the narrative here? Or what's the analogy or some sort of thing that like would quickly resonate with the prospect and anyone like them, that's going to take care of like 80% of your messaging challenges. 100%. I know you just said 80% and I said 100%, but no, I completely agree with you. You don't have a lot of time, right? And so how often when you don't have a lot of time and you get some, you, you try to write an email and it ends up being 400 words because you end up trying to create context or you try to shorten it to less than 100 words because Jason Bay tells me I got to have short emails, but then I can't necessarily create that context or that narrative utilizing some frameworks that people are already familiar with. Everybody knows that X marks the spot. Everybody knows David versus Goliath, right? But they don't necessarily know that we are a consulting company that can help you compete against the giants because we can help you find this buried treasure. You know it's out there. We know where it is. We can help you, right? I mean, there are just so many ways you can play on that. Jason, it also makes it a hell of a lot more fun. Yeah. You get to tell 
stories all day or you get to make sales calls all day, right? <laughs> <laughs> people respond to storytelling. We, it's as old as time, right? Before people could read and write, they could still tell stories. And, and that's what I love about what, I mean, just chatting about that for a couple of minutes before we started recording. I mean, that is a really, really cool concept. I want to see more of it. Well, the way that I always explain this is, do you know what the average person's reading speed is? No. It's about 200 to 250 words per minute. So think about it. If you have a 120 word email, that's a really tight email. It's going to take 30 seconds to read. So what do most prospects end up doing? Because they're not speed readers. Most prospects end up skimming or deleting and not even looking at it at all because they have to spend 30 seconds in order for this to like help make sense and provide context. Well, an analogy makes sense like that. When I say David and Goliath, you immediately know what I'm going to talk about. If I provide an image that has some sort of buried trait, you're immediately going to understand conceptually what this is about. And it's going to get you to want to be intrigued at about what else is in there. This is like a very simple way to convey it. I mean, that's, that's why stories are so interesting because, I mean, look, dude, stories are the thing that's been passed down the most in time. I mean, there's literally stories that have been retold tens of thousands of years. It's kind of crazy when you think about it, but we can boil that story down to just David and Goliath and the people understand, you know what I mean? Like that's how awesome storytelling is and how much science is into the if I'm going to get someone interested in something, I have to do that in a way that's going to burn the least amount of calories for them as possible because they're just not going to want to put the calories in. Right. No, love it. Okay. This topic I want to pick your brain on here. You know, by the way, this picking the brain thing, is that a bad thing to say? People give me shit about saying, I'd like to pick your brain on something. You want to know why people give you shit about that? It's because it sounds like you're asking for free consulting. <laughs> Okay. That, no, I'm serious. That's, that's, and there yeah. have been articles written about that. Like, yeah, you can pick my brain. It's 500 bucks. Pick all you want. It's 500 bucks. Then I'll take Visa, MasterCard, or American Express via PayPal, right? Like, and you're eating the fees. Like, I've seen a couple of articles, and I think that narrative has gone kind of been run with. But Jason, see, you've earned a special right. You get to pick my brain. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I can see if I reached out to someone that didn't know me and said, hey, I'd like to pick your brain on something. But okay, anyways, event over. So there's this kind of time at the beginning of the month or the quarter when your your kind of quota resets, right? Or as a business owner, it, you know, that's like happens on a monthly basis, right? And it kind of puts you in this mental frame where you're not quite in desperation mode, but it can kind of feel like it because you're starting at the beginning again. And if it was a tough quarter, you might've felt like you were climbing Mount Everest and then you hit the summit, you're going back down and oh, by the way, the next mountain is even higher. You know, and you have this concept of like, you know, what if you sell as if you already hit your number, which sounds pretty cool, but what does that mean? How do we do that? I noticed that as soon as that monkey was off my back for the month, I started having a lot more fun. And I don't know to what I owe the fact that I noticed this, right? Like I don't pretend to be this Zen master who's just so mindful that I'm aware of every step I take, but there was something I remember noticing. I was probably my third year in this job and I was this job that I had 10 years ago and I was killing it. And I, I noticed that by the 24th, 25th, by the time I had my number covered for the month, or when I knew that there was an order that was going to ship in a couple of days or, or whatever, I knew that the, the number was going to be taken care of. My sales calls became effortless. I had more fun. I was looser. I was lighter. I was taking more risks. I was, I had more swagger, right? Like I actually sold more 
in those last few days of the month than I did, you know, in the first 21 days when I was tight, right? And just a little too tense, you know? And I remember going back to Little League when my coach was, I'd be, I was a pitcher and my coach would say, hey, stop aiming the ball and start throwing it. Like, you're good at this. You're an athlete. Just pick a spot and hit it. Don't try to force it in. And how many reps force it? Jason, you work with them all the time. They, they, their emails are contrived. Their, their scripts are too scripted. They're just, they're tight. They're too tense. They can't let their own talents come out because they don't trust it. They're trying to contrive things. When I noticed that, that was step one. Step two was, what if you sold like that all month instead of just the last week? Once I convinced myself that I could take the risk. And I'll bet what happened was it was probably the third quarter of the year and I already knew I was going to hit my, my year because <laughs> I had enough of a head start to where it didn't feel as if I, it was as much of a risk. And I just, I lightened up and I didn't worry about the result as much as I worried about doing the things in the moment that I knew would be successful. And man, it made a difference, but it wasn't until I recognized there was a difference that I actually was able to make that shift. Have you ever felt that way? Okay, yes, I have. And I want to ask you about this because I know you cook a lot, especially you smoke things, right? What was the last thing that you uh, grilled or smoked? It was a pork shoulder. Pork shoulder. When you, so you grilled it? I put it on my big green egg. Yeah, I smoked it. Okay, smoked it. So when you were smoking that pork shoulder, did you think about, oh God, I don't think this is going to go well. Like, what if this doesn't turn out? Were you thinking any of that kind of stuff? Or was it more like, oh yeah, I just, I've done this enough times. Like, I'm pretty good at this. Like, what was going through your head? Such a great analogy. I'm so glad you went there. And I was not expecting you to go here. It's not the first time I've done it. Okay. I've done it enough times. I had made some mistakes. I'd learned from some mistakes. I had sought expertise elsewhere. I'd found some online tutorials. I watched an Aaron Franklin masterclass. Like, I've got the, the the pork shoulder thing kind of down. I didn't use a meat thermometer this time. Like I just kind of had a rough idea on time, but I'd done it enough times to know what the indicators were. And I also knew that you really can't fail because pork shoulder is really hard to screw up, right? So I knew we were going to eat. I knew it was going to be delicious. I didn't have to worry too much about the details. I just lightened up and let it happen. And this thing was outstanding. So how many pork shoulders did you have to screw up in order to get to that? point to where you could cook it and not really have to worry about it. This is probably my sixth or seventh one. And interestingly enough, I have not screwed up any of them. Even when that didn't go well, I knew how to save it. Yeah. So you mentioned a lot of interesting things there. I think that like, if you kind of go into the prospecting or sales situation, knowing that there's actually a pretty high likelihood that you're going to fail, but that if you fail, you could learn something from it for next time. And if you kind of go in just saying, hey, like, I'm going to totally accept whatever outcome happens here versus trying to make a particular outcome and just say, hey, I'm going to do everything that I can to get this sale or, or get this appointment or whatever it is. But there's a higher likelihood statistically, just like batting and baseball, that that's not going to happen. And, and you know what, if that doesn't happen, like, I'm, I'm totally prepared to accept that. And more importantly, look at how I could learn from it. I think that's kind of the trick to selling is if you already hit your number, because like whether you hit your number or not, it doesn't really matter. Does it? It doesn't really matter because like hitting your number, like doing that didn't make your skills better. It, all it did was just change how you think about yourself, like your self-esteem. And if your self-esteem 
Like it doesn't have to be tied to you getting the result. I love what you said there about the only, the biggest difference it makes if you hit your number or not is how you feel about yourself afterward. It might impact your bonus, right? If you have a bonus structure or whatever, like, I, I don't know the kids these days, Jason, I don't even know what a base salary is. I've never had one of those. So like, it's all foreign to me. I never had a base salary in sales either, dude. <laughs> and you definitely don't as a business owner, right? <laughs> no, no. But the idea that like, yeah, if I hit my number, I did good. And if I didn't hit my number, then I did bad. Like that's something that people have to change because the idea is to continue to learn. The idea is to continue to grow. It's mathematically possible that you could miss 11 of your months, but crush that 12th month to where you hit your year. At what level are you bad or are you good, right? So you got to divorce yourself from that kind of recognition, but just recognizing How much better are you when you don't have that judgment? Realize how much more capable you can be. And I'm not worried about hitting this month if I can do something that will help me hit the next six quarters, right? Any given month is a very small blip on a very long timeline. And I just think there's a bigger picture there that we have to be aware of as sellers. And when you can free yourself up and say, no, I'm going to, when I'm focused on this short of a timeline, I actually inhibit my own talents. Like, is this timeline, is this short-term goal, is this medium-term goal? Is this serving me? That's the the bigger question. Jason, and I'm reading my notes incorrectly here. Why don't more people stick their neck out? Why don't more salespeople just ask for what they want? Why don't more salespeople talk about how excited they are about the potential of a project? Yeah, this is interesting. I think it's a couple things. I think it might be a confidence issue and kind of like what we were talking about before. I think the other part of it might be like lack of empathy for the prospect and like what they're going through. And I'll use myself as an example. I caught myself doing this maybe a year ago-ish. My closing rate was just not great on these projects coming through. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what the hell's going on? Like, I'm doing all the right stuff. I have great case studies to show them results. I'm building a really good connection with them. I'm looping in multiple people from the organization and it sounds really good. Yeah, sounds good. Send it over. And I normally have a really high closing rate once I send out a proposal because I don't send out a proposal unless they say yes, you know, and I wasn't getting these deals. And I was like, just what, what the hell's going on? And I started thinking about what does a prospect need through the sales process? What do they need from the salesperson? You know, I think they're there's a little bit of like education that they might want if it's something that they're not an expertise in or an expert in. But I really think a bigger part of it is their level of confidence that you one know their problem and can articulate like their problem. And that two, you're the person to fix it. Andy Paul shared in his podcast, this like brilliant framework. That's so simple. That was so cool. He's like, there's a what, and then a who part of selling. Most sales people focus on the who, who are you going to find, who are you going to hire for this solution or for this service instead of first focusing on what are you, what problem are you trying to solve first? And then let's talk about the who. So that what part is like, Hey, can you articulate the problem back to them? Which I was doing, but the who part, I was so far in this other area of not talking about myself and all this stuff during the sales process. I forgot to say stuff like Jeff, did I get the problem right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to let you know, I'm extremely confident in my ability to fix this for you. 
Like, I feel very good about this. There's three criteria that we have for good clients for me to know that I can get good results. It's good product market fit. It's you actually have reps that are dedicated to prospecting and you're already getting somewhat decent results. Like we're not completely starting from zero. Those are the criteria that I look at to be able to be like, yes, I can definitely help you. So I just want to let you know, I feel very good about this. I'm looking forward to working with you. Like that level of like conviction and giving them a logical explanation of why you feel like they're a good fit for you. Dude, it was like immediate, man. Because the people were super excited because the trepidation they had that I realized, because I asked people about this after the fact, the trepidation was, well, Jason, I see the other companies you work with and you know, I see the logos that they're able to meet with. And I think there's no way we could do that. Like this, this is not going to work that good enough. We don't have our shit together enough for this to work for us. That's what people were thinking. And that's not because I'm saying I'm so great. I'm just thinking like, think of the solution you're selling. And you say, we work with all these great companies and people are putting themselves in there and they're thinking, well, shit, we don't work with any companies like that. Is, is this going to work for us? Right. I do this exercise with people. I tell them to raise their right arm in the air as high as they can and then put their palm down on the back of their neck. Okay. And you hold it there for a second. Okay. And then I say, lift it just an inch and then set it down and then lift it just an inch and then set it down, lift it just an inch and do that 20 times. And while you do that 20 times, say, Hey, you're doing a great job. Okay. (laughs) It doesn't take long to figure out what I'm telling you to do, but people need to be nudged that they're doing the right thing. Selling at the end of the day, my one of my favorite definitions of selling came from Brian Tracy 20 some odd years ago. He said, selling is a transfer of enthusiasm from one party to another. So while you are convinced that you can solve the problem, have you given the, the prospect, have you given your potential customer the enthusiasm that you are excited to sell or to, to solve their problem, not to make the sale, but to solve their problem. Do they have that? Like, cause there's that, that point where like, you know, you don't sell in a vacuum. So there are other competitors out there probably vying for this same business and they don't quite know which one is going to be the best. And they know all of them or any of them could be effective. Which one's going to win the one they're most excited about. How can you nudge them across the line by nudging yourself, you know, a little bit more into the picture. I cannot wait to work on this project with you. Look, I know you're probably considering some other options, but look, the way I see this right now, you line up in my history, you line up as someone who should expect a very high level or high uh, probability of achieving the result that you're looking for. I really can't wait to get started on this. I hope you choose me. Yeah. There's some vulnerability there. There is certainly a lot of enthusiasm there. But what kind of a statement does that make? And it's not, please pick me. We hope we hear from you soon. It's, there aren't very many that line up the way this this one does, right? There aren't very many that line up the way we do right now. This is going to be fun. Are you ready? Like, that's a completely different way to deliver that line. And people don't do it. Be the Trader Joe's. The reason why I like going to Trader Joe's more than Whole Foods Well, the Whole Foods, I don't know if it's an Austin-specific thing because it's actually based here in Austin. That's where the headquarters are. The people there seem like they don't want to like actually be there. Every time I go to Trader Joe's without fail, they're so excited about like, oh, cool. I tried those uh, Trader Joe things. You know, they have like specific Trader Joe branded stuff for people listening or watching that don't shop there. They're like, those are really good. I can't wait for you to try those. That's the interaction every time I go to Trader Joe's. They're so excited 
about Trader Joe's and the brand and that you get to experience and that they kind of get to live vicariously through you is what it feels like versus Whole Foods. Arguably, the, the food is higher quality at Whole Foods. I think it's extremely overpriced. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> but those people are not excited for me when I go there. I, I just don't get that. And that makes the difference. It absolutely does. It's, it's one where it's like, thanks for coming in. We're going to make it a great experience for you. You're going to get what you need done. You're going to have a great experience. You're going to, um, you're going to get the food that you need. It's, it's pretty healthy. There's not a lot of junk in Trader Joe's stuff versus Whole Foods where it's like, welcome. <laughs> so glad you could make it. Your stuff's out there somewhere. Just let us know if you need anything. Like it's, it's, they're not rude, but they're definitely aloof. Yep. And what do you want? And you know what? Aloof works for some companies. Talk to Rolex, talk to Bentley, talk to Porsche, talk to a lot of those luxury brands. You know what else works? Tesla, Trader Joe's, some of these other brands where it's, they're more active and they're just more like they're, they're more out there. They're, they're, the energy is, is palpable. You got to match that to your prospect. I go to Trader Joe's for the giant Inca corn. Oh, hell yeah. You put those things in salads, man. That's oof, money. They don't make it to salads. The, the bag isn't big enough. <laughs> that was another episode of Sales Rants. I had a lot of fun with this one. In particular, I've been really thinking about this creating a narrative piece. And I think a good action for you is, you know, if you're listening to this, think about what is an analogy and an idiom, some sort of maybe commonplace saying in your industry, something that if you said this or use this imagery or this metaphor, this analogy, how could you get it to relate with the prospect right away so that they understand what it is you're talking about in just a few seconds. So think about that. I'd mull on that for a little bit and see how it might apply to your cold emails and your cold calls, especially in how you describe what you do. So thanks for checking out the show today. Hope you're having a kick-ass start to the new year and we'll talk to you soon.